0: Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with senior business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. I'm Tom Ritchie, Changeboard's multimedia editor. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe. The Future Talent Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm joined by Harvey Lewis, an Associate Partner and Chief Data Scientist in EY's Tax Practice. A real life rocket scientist with over 25 years of experience in AI, blockchain, and other disruptive technologies, he's a strategist and innovator in the public and private sectors. Since joining EY in 2017, he has pioneered the use of AI in the firm's tax practice. In this podcast, recorded in February 2019, I asked Harvey how leaders can effectively adopt emerging technologies in their business, how much leaders actually need to know about AI and how automation will affect the HR function in the future. Well, hi Harvey, thanks so much for agreeing to speak to us uh, today. I thought we could start by just having a quick introduction to your career and what your role is
1: here at EY. Great, thanks. Well, it's really good to be speaking to you today. I've had a fantastic career. I've spent, well, more than 25 years now working with data in one form or another. I've got a PhD in aerodynamics, which seems a bit unusual for someone who's ended up in tax at a big four firm. Um, And the journey that I've taken to go from aerodynamics to here is, for me, really interesting and engaging. Mm. Um, I've worked for small consultancies, large consultancies, primarily modeling and using data and data analytics to derive insights for clients uh, or for the firms I've worked for. Um, It's been hugely enjoyable. And one of the things I'd say about being here and my role here is I joined DY in 2017. I've got no tax background whatsoever, but I'm now working within tax technology and transformation team. A lot of my friends, And former colleagues have asked me why I work in tax. And I say to them, tax is one of those areas which is going to be really massively disrupted by technology. Mm. And what better than to be at the forefront of that as things go forward? Mm. And like you've just said there, no
0: no prior history in tax. So one of the things that we cover and will be covering at the Future Talent Conference is how do you go about learning new skills or addressing new technologies or uh, addressing a new role? So how do you approach new things?
1: So the first thing is I'm, I'm just really inquisitive about technology. I mean, I love it. So I'm a really voracious reader. I read papers, articles, books, everything that's going about AI, machine learning, about data in general. And technology in general, actually. So, I try to keep myself up to date, and, and reading is one of those things which, you know, is really core to everything that I've learned. But also, I mean, especially here at EY, we have quite an unstructured, uh, but accredited learning program called EY Badges. So. That badges program allows me to dip into different subjects and get a, an accreditation for those subjects. And believe it or not, I'm currently doing my AI badge. Uh, it's a platinum level badge, and people are saying, why do you need a platinum level badge when you're already working in AI at EY? And, and the thing about it is is I want to do that in a way that is different, so I'm learning a new programming language to do that. I'm learning some new techniques to do that. So I'm always pressing myself forward uh, because every day of my work here, I'm doing something different. It's, mm. it's a very varied working environment. And so I can't forecast exactly what skills and knowledge I'm going to need in six months' time. So I'm just constantly trying to keep myself up to date. Mm. And what have you read recently
0: that's really made an, an, an impact on the way that you kind of it that you've been working recently
1: yeah a, a, a fantastic question um and it's my answer is probably not something that you might expect so i'm reading um daniel dennett's um from bacteria to bark and back um which is about his theories i mean he's a philosopher mm. who's looked at um sort of the cognitive functions of the brain and the way that we think and the separation of mind over matter and, and brain and those kinds of things. And one of the most profound things that I'm picking up from his book uh, and others have picked up as well is the fact that 40,000 years ago, we sort of, we were the same then as we are now in terms of our processing ability, our intelligence. Um... But what's happened since then, um, isn't anything to do with natural evolution, it's to do with cultural evolution. It's the language that we've had and the knowledge that we've passed on from generation to generation, Mm. which has sort of elevated us beyond the other great apes on the planet. And that is a really fascinating concept and, and makes me think really quite carefully about the way in which artificial intelligence works and what it's trying to achieve, and actually the sort of the fundamental power of human abilities.
0: Mm. Well, that's one thing that I often find is you can, you can find really relatable lessons from anything that you read or anything that you can pick up, and that's something that a lot of the leaders that we speak to cite quite regularly. So it's always interesting to hear what it is that you're actually reading at the moment. Um, so let's touch on uh, technology. Um, are organisations currently equipped to adjust as quickly as new technology
1: comes into their business? So I think organisations are getting much, much better at innovation. So programmes that look at generating new ideas and adapting technologies, some commercially available, some which they build themselves, for those problems. I think most companies now have got some form of innovation mechanism which works effectively well. Where they struggle is in adopting those technologies. It's changing the culture of the organization so that people who are accustomed to working in a particular way change their behaviors to to adopt and use a technology. One of the, the great problems that I see is that even though current processes might not be quite as efficient as they could be with technology they nevertheless still work so why would you change something that still works' a lot of hysteresis a lot of latency um, sort of wrapped up in what organizations do so the innovations don 't always translate onto the front line mm-hmm. and that 's where I think a lot of companies struggle and one of one of the
0: one of the through line of conversations that we've had with um, the other speakers at our upcoming conference is that we carry on asking questions about how can you put, technolo- put talent over technology. So what would be your advice on making sure your culture is right and that people's jobs aren't negatively affected by, by new technologies? So this is the, the big
1: question, right? Mm. And so, you know, what is the impact of technology on jobs and on people's livelihoods? And I think, you know, certainly for too long, the narrative has been dominated by this technology over talent, conversation. I think that technology is put on a pedestal, and we've forgotten actually the the great benefits that come from engaging and involving people in the workplace. And so for me, the key problem is unpicking that, understanding why that is. And the conclusion I keep coming back to is that we're just guilty of assuming that the technology is perfect. Mm. And when a technology is perfect, then why wouldn't we try and replace people? And in fact, most automation activities are designed to replace people or to significantly reduce their cost. And if we're doing that with the assumption that the technology is perfect, then it it makes perfect economic and, and business sense. But the reality, of course, is that technology isn't perfect. And I mean, this will be sort of a major theme of of conversations to come in the future. Technologies make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, what do organizations do to fix those things? They typically will turn to people. Mm. And when they turn to people, there's an expectation that those people are as capable as the technology itself. In fact, they've actually got to be more capable, they've got to be able to deal with those unexpected situations, those edge cases that uh, no one saw coming. So in many respects, they need greater depth, more ability when technology comes to automate a particular process. Mm -hmm. So for me, the narrative is, is completely upside down. For me, the narrative should be much more about talent With technology. Mm -hmm. And when we think about it in those terms, then the the impact potentially is much, much less severe. I'm not saying that automation won't take away some jobs. What I'm saying is that we need to design our technologies, in fact, our systems that involve people and technologies in a way that is sensible for the outcomes that we want to achieve. Mm. And do you think that there's anyone,
0: or there are any, any businesses that you've come across that are actually achieving that at the moment?
1: Well, actually, part of my worry is that there's almost no discussion of this at any depth, in any detail. There's a lot of simplification and generalisation. And I do worry um, that no one's having this kind of conversation. The the work we do here at EY is, is... Not particularly cutting-edge when it comes to the application of AI but we're using the technologies that are appropriate and sensible within the context that we need certainly within tax but we're not designing them to replace the people Mm. what we're designing them to do is to carry out an activity that assists the person in doing their job far more efficiently and effectively than they would be able to do on their own or indeed if the firm was to solely rely on the technology. Mm. So that's a, that's a design choice that we're making. And I don't see very many organisations making similar choices at all. Mm.
0: And could you go into a little bit more detail on how you
1: are using AI in EY's tax practice at the moment? Sure. So I've got a couple of really good examples. So um, bearing in mind that I'm not a tax expert, I was quite surprised when I joined EY to get an understanding of how tax professionals who are highly trained, highly intelligent individuals have to work through, uh, for example, transactions, corporate transactions, to determine the tax treatment of those. And very often, these highly trained, highly capable individuals have to pour over thousands and thousands of lines of transactions in a spreadsheet to determine on a case-by-case basis exactly what tax treatment is, and it takes them a huge amount of time. So it was naturally a place where we thought artificial intelligence could help. So we designed and have implemented an application which we call EY Alert, which reads those transaction descriptions and categorize them as best it can And it doesn't do that in a way that says, here's the answer, file it and move on. It does it in a way that helps the tax professional firstly identify all of those rows in the spreadsheet which are correctly classified, and secondly, identifying all those rows where the computer itself thinks there's a problem. And it provides a set of clues and breadcrumbs, if you like, as to where there might be a problem so that the human can find the error mm. and fix it. And that process, thinking about that um, as a system, means that it is much, much more efficient and effective than either the computer or the person would be on their own. Mm. So, so that's an application which is currently in use within EY for supporting quite a large number of client engagements now. Um, A second application we've developed um, is using machine learning again to take data and information which has been scraped off the World Wide Web and is able to categorize that and identify um, articles which are talking about changes in tax legislation wherever they happen around the world. Uh, And that is in relatively early stages, but is again showing the... Potential power and utility of combining someone with a good tax knowledge background with an appropriately trained machine learning system to deliver something which is really really quite impactful in In a short amount of time
0: and 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 has that had a real tangible effect on the efficiency of the tax practice at EY the the implementation of the of, of, of AI in the
1: process Yes, yeah, so we've seen um, for example Um, projects that have taken, historically, hours and hours of time being reduced significantly in terms of time, so productivity has increased. Now, the full potential of that technology is to reduce, for example, uh, the the statistics we normally quote are 75 hours of human time down to less than a minute of machine time. The reality is that in using the technology, not only are we able to reduce the amount of time, but we're able to um, go through that tax compliance process in a completely different way. And I think that is a really key point. We're not just replicating the same old process here. We've changed the process. Mm. So our tax professionals are now able to iterate and experiment and potentially Rather than wait for a year-end period to go through and calculate tax compliance, they're able now to do that on a quarterly, Mm. or a monthly, or a weekly, or a daily basis. So we're getting now much more towards real time. So the way in which we address the very traditional problem of tax compliance has change fundamentally as a consequence of the technology.
0: And that's really interesting as well because that's something that if you said maybe 10 years ago that we're thinking more creatively about tax compliance, like that's something that you wouldn't really associate with, with compliance, is it? Being able to think in iterative ways and the technology has actually allowed people to kind of free up the way that they think about their, their role, is that
1: the case, do you think? Well, um, So it frees them to think up, um, think about the problem that they're trying to solve. Mm, yeah. So they're trying different things with the technology in order to solve problems that they didn't really realize they had before. Mm. And that's the interesting thing, is that rather than just this general concept of freeing up someone's time so they can add value, we, we can actually see how those tax professionals are using the technology to change the way they deliver insight Mm. and outcomes to clients, engaging with clients in a different way. And far from this idea that the technology will remove us from that sort of client connection, it's actually substantially increased the connection because now our clients are interested Mm. in the way that we use technology and how our tax professionals can make sense of it. And so they're having, really quite constructive and engaged conversations about it. Questions like, how can we trust the output? Um, what would happen if? Those sorts of scenarios really never came up before. You know, the, the compliance was, was done, it was reviewed, job done, move on to the next thing. Mm. So actually, we, we're seeing an increasing engagement with our clients through the use of technology. Yeah.
0: And the way you've spoken about uh, about the benefits of AI there leads me on to my next question which was going to be do you think that leaders have a firm grip on what AI will mean for their business and the way you were speaking there makes me think that a lot of people almost certainly don't because the way you were speaking about the way it's freed up the tax professionals working within EY I don't see many leaders thinking that way about what AI AI will mean for their business they think of it in either negative terms or just in terms of Efficiency. So would you agree with that statement that leaders don't have a firm grip on what AI could mean for their business?
1: You're absolutely right that leaders understand the efficiency in general terms that can be gained through the use of AI and other technologies. And that I don't see as a bad thing at all. So I think your question about whether or not they've got a firm grip on AI is is sort of not not quite right. Do they need to have a firm grip on AI? I'm not I'm not convinced that they do. Do they need to understand the benefits? Absolutely. Do they need to understand the principles by which they need to implement it? So it's not just a one size fits all. It's going to replace my workforce. Absolutely. Do they need to understand? How it works in great detail. I'm, I'm not convinced. I think they need to, to understand it to a degree, which goes beyond the sort of the general um, simplifications that are made at the moment. But they certainly don't need to know enough to, you know, for example, to have to code these applications mm. themselves. But they do need to understand the risks and the benefits.
0: And so, do you think technologists are putting enough thought into the impact that automation can have on people's
1: working lives so here i think is is where the real issue lies okay here here is a i think a a key problem in that um, quite often technologists are brought in to solve a problem and they don't have the context they don't really appreciate the nuances and the details by which the particular problem they're addressing is currently solved so so for example, if we look at um, tax classification or indeed any any similar problem, um, it's very easy to come up with a solution for tax classification, which seems, at least on the surface, to address the problem. Mm. But underneath the surface, sort of creates a whole heap of, of challenges. Um, so for example, A technologist may look at a process or a set of activities um, that someone performs and see only what's obvious. And then they will design a process, a machine-driven process, which perfectly replicates what they have just observed. And in that replication, they miss all of the implicit activities, all of the intangibles, Mm. which might also be actually very important. And so when they build the technology to perform that process, it doesn't quite have the performance or the outcomes that they were expecting. But they don't have the necessary knowledge to understand that might be the case. Mm. And then conversely, if you're looking at someone from the business who does have that domain expertise, they might not know how the technology works So in that environment, you genuinely have the blind leading the blind Mm. and the outcomes may well not be what were expected. So is that where the leader's role becomes
0: important saying to the technologists, this is what we need it to achieve? They need to have the overall and overarching um, say on how the AI will be
1: implemented rather than leaving it in the hands of technologists so so this is where governance is is really important so I mean I alluded to it before when clients ask us how how they can trust the output that our applications deliver that question hides a huge amount of complexity and, and detail and it's a question that all leaders should be asking of their own business and their own technologists how can we trust output how do we know that it is doing the things that it needs to do and how do we know that it's doing those things correctly with the minimum bias uh, with fairness and all of those really serious and important questions that need to be asked as technology is introduced into our working lives and so
0: I I want to ask a bit more specifically about how AI is going to change the HR function Um, and it's something that I think like we've kind of touched on a little bit throughout the course of this conversation is that we don't want to lose the human touch. So if we automate too much of an HR's function, could we be in danger of
1: losing that within our organizations? Uh, I mean, almost certainly. I mean, the, the danger of automation is, is sort of manyfold. Um, and one of the areas we've talked about um, is the way in which... Automation can often um, hide some of the intangibles, some of the sort of more human elements of a process that, that get completely missed. But there are many other things that that can happen as well, and and particularly in functions like human resources and anything to do with talent. Um, there are a number of other real worries um, that that need to be addressed. So there's a there's a, an interesting statement which Daniel Kahneman made. Daniel Kahneman is the Nobel Prize winning economist. And he said what you see is all there is. So humans are are very guilty of um, looking at something and just seeing what's obvious. Automating that and then taking a sort of a step back and thinking I don't need to do anything anymore. And what happens when you automate something in that way is that the cognitive load that the person has to undertake so the you know as as we automate people are still doing their you know some of their jobs and a number of their activities actually if we don't give them sufficient load then their skills degrade over time so so the jobs that they still have left get done worse so you end up in this situation where in theory, automation is supposed to make organizations more intelligent. And in reality, it sort of makes them a bit dumber mm. because what's left is, is not done as well as it could be. And actually, the, the automated processes themselves occasionally make mistakes. So um, you end up in, in a really quite um, difficult and potentially dangerous situation. And I think in HR, that's where we see this potentially at the extreme. You don't want to have a situation where work is automated, and so people's interaction on the talent footing is completely humanless, because that sort of suggests that people don't matter. And on what sort of a message is that to people that people don't matter? Um, it also can lead to mistakes, and we've seen examples, for example, in uh, CV screening and other recruitment practices, where the blind application of technology creates mistakes and bias, um, and and all we do is through the process of training machine learning systems embed, you know, historical biases and and exaggerate those things, um, and that's just one example. You know, I can think of of many many others in learning and development um throughout the entire recruitment process, um, through organizational design where those sort of historical biases and problems, you know, really start to to challenge HR.
0: Mm. And I'd I'd just like to, to to finish on one last question, which was what skills will we need in the future to coexist with more and more sophisticated
1: AI uh, and machines in the future so you ask that as if it's a really simple question and you No, I know the, <laughs> the bulleted list
0: we'll finish on this one it's a nice easy one to finish <laughs> on
1: so um, so I'm not going to give you a bulleted list um, because I don't think that's possible mm. what what I would say is um, through my experience here at EY and elsewhere where we're applying these technologies and we're really looking quite hard at the way in which they're being used. Um, we've got a good insight now, and it's a it's a growing one into what kind of skills are needed. And, and it is counterintuitive. It's not what you would expect. So the, the conventional narrative says, we let the machines do what they're good at and we let the people do what humans are good at. So, you know, we'll will get them problem solving and critical thinking and communicating and collaborating and all those good things um, which computers find difficult because they're, they're specialized intelligence and we're general intelligence. Now we do need all of those things, that's important, but if we think about some of the examples I've given where tax professionals now need to understand how the technology works so that they can spot mistakes, we're increasing the range of technical, technology knowledge that our tax professionals need. We, we're also entering into a situation where they need to deepen their existing knowledge. We don't need to eradicate it. We need to deepen it because if people are dealing with the complex edge cases and those scenarios which we've never encountered before, actually they need the detail. They need to be challenged and so, Rather than technology simply eradicating some of these areas of knowledge, actually it's changing them completely. They need to deepen. So if we think about um, people as being T-shaped, and that's you know quite a common way of thinking about skills and abilities, um, what technology does is stretch all dimensions of the T. Mm. It doesn't fundamentally change the shape of the T, which I think is very often the narrative. So as well as all of those human skills, we now need additional technology skills. We now need to deepen our knowledge in certain areas. So the challenge isn't which skills, really. The challenge is how do we give people sufficient time and um, resources to broaden and deepen? Mm. That's the challenge.
0: That's a really interesting note to leave it on. Harvey, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a very thought-stimulating conversation. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening. To hear more conversations like this, make sure you subscribe to the Future Talent podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon.